Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, member Gunnar Gregory shares his path from working at Goldman and investment banking across two different groups, from joining a startup hedge fund to now branching out to run his own business. What he learned along the way, how he views mentors, and a certain mindset that helps him grow. Enjoy. All right, Gunnar, thank you so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So it'd be great if you could just give the listeners a short or brief bio of your history. Sure. Um, so I'm from the D.C. area. Um, and funny enough, I actually started working in politics as a hobby at a very young age. Um, and I guess actually with work, I, I really do mean internships. So I actually started doing that when I was 11 um, until I was 20. So it was a while. Um, and uh, it's actually not as weird as it sounds. My um Great uncle was Tip O'Neill, so it's pretty it's pretty standard, I guess, for uh, people in my family. But anyway, I ended up working for a bunch of people with financial services backgrounds at the Financial Services Committee um, in 2009 when they were oh, working wow. through the financial system, um, working on Dodd-Frank. Um, and I learned what investment banking was. Uh, I'd never heard of that before and decided that I wanted to do that. Um, so I started at Jefferies working as an investment banker my junior year, uh, then made the summer switch, which is always tricky. Um junior year to Goldman and ended up working for four years there after college. Um, after that, went to go work at a hedge fund, um, did equity credit and activism, and then left to do my own thing and started a company called Vansery in 2018. Um, and to, to, to date, uh, starting company has been the most fun, but, um, but that's, that's what I do now. So. Awesome. Thanks for the quick summary. So going back to undergrad and it sounds like so yeah. your politics, uh, when you were first applying for that, like Jeffrey's, a summer analyst position. Can you tell me a little about like, was there on-campus recruiting um, at your undergrad? What was that like? Cause you were a finance uh, history double major, right? But like, were you, yeah, right. um, had you decided early enough? Was it like long, far enough ago where they weren't recruiting like sophomore year, <laughs> like they are now? Was it like a normal kind of sophomore, let's say spring semester type recruiting or how did that, how did that work? Or early junior. Year. I think it was actually my my junior year fall. Yeah, so I guess it was more normal than that even. Okay. Um, and I think what they did there was a name for it, but um, they posted onto the the school's website. I guess like for a resume drop, maybe that's what it was called. Yep. Um, and uh, I was selected to do that after putting in my resume. Um, it actually was for a satellite office for Jeffries, which I don't even know if it's around anymore. Called uh, it was their aerospace and defense practice and industrials. Okay. It was based in DC. 
Um, and so I just drove up there from William and Mary, which is based, uh, William Mary is essentially between Richmond and Norfolk for anyone familiar with, uh, Virginia's geography. So drove up like three hours to the interview and then got the offer. Nice dude. Congrats. Um, so you, um, got that offer basically you knew right then and there, like, okay, can you walk me through kind of that summer? Was it like, was it long hours? Was it something where you knew this is what you wanted to do? And, um, did you receive a full-time offer at the end of that summer? And is that what, was that how you were able to like leverage or jump up to a bolt bracket? Um, so it actually was even a little bit trickier than that. So it was an exploding 24 hour offer. Oh my gosh. Um, so I'd spent a lot of time. Yeah, I know. I spent a lot of time in, uh, in New York. Um, and, but I, you know, probably was doing reading on Wall Street Oasis actually to figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and decided just to take it, get my foot in the door, um, and actually really liked it. Um, I'd done a lot of work. I mean, to the extent kind of somebody in college can do, can do a lot of research, um, in, uh, like contracting and, um, kind of what was going on then in like Iraq and Afghanistan, which they were doing, basically that group was helping to consolidate the drone industry. Um, so it was really cool. Um, however it was, they were cutting back internship slots and that, uh, group actually did not, um, extend any slots to any interns that they had that summer. And so I kind of had to figure out, I, I luckily already had a process on going at Goldman, um, and got into that. So kind of got saved there, but it was, it was a bit of hit or miss. So, so that was kind of, um, basically after, right after junior summer to that recruiting, was it like an accelerated process or is it because you knew you weren't going to get an offer, a full-time offer from that specific satellite office, you kind of were already hustling? Uh, they didn't, you... No, they didn't tell me that until actually after I was done um, in late August. Okay. So um, I, I was kind of intending on moving up to New York either way. Okay. Um, so that was just kind of a process that was ongoing during the summer. Do you think you would have taken it if they had given you the offer or you felt like you had enough leads in New York that you would have turned it down and kind of gotten something else? I think I probably would have gotten to New York. Um, I was yeah. working with or talking to some, some people at uh, Morgan Stanley and, and Deutsche Bank. And then how did you like get in there? Were you like networking earlier in the summer? Did you, how did you kind of have those connections? Yeah. So, so that was definitely kind of the bright spot of, of my co-working process and what I try to impart the most to people going through it is that the community in my undergraduate program at William & Mary was just completely essential for me breaking into interviews and um, getting those opportunities. We had this really wonderful finance professor there who had actually been um, investment banker herself. She was like a Fulbright scholar, all this other crazy stuff. And um, she was at Bear, I think, in consumer um, way back. And anyway, she took a kind of like a personal interest in all the students that were trying to work for and kind of demonstrated willingness to work really hard for these opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, but she would connect them with other alums that uh, worked at banks that seemed like a good fit. And so that was, that was awesome. Um, and without that, it would have been really hard really to kind of like get a leg up and, and to really know kind of like the subject matter of what um, people and kind of like the real world really, really want to know. Cause it's just so different from, from your finance classes. So was she like, um, actually, was mentor she mentor? Oh, okay. Up with me she wasn't mentoring like you. 11. Okay. Oh, go ahead. She wasn't mentoring you directly. It was like, um, it was just like she so had, she, a... she was, okay. she was mentoring me directly. So, so she was even so open as, I mean, this is all in her free time too. Yeah. Um, she would, um, like if, if you were to email her and say, Hey, like, you know, I got this interview at, um, Barclays and I, you know, going to be doing this phone interview, say in like two days, she'd say, Oh, that's so great. Like she would know it was going on. She'd invite you to her, her office. Um, and, uh, and then she'd say, yeah, by the way, like 
you know, X, Y, and Z also works in that group. Like you should talk to them, kind of get to know, you know, deals that they've done recently, things like that. Oh, cool. That's huge because I guess yeah. going into the interview, you could kind of mention those, drop those names, I assume. Oh, so big. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that it makes, it makes all the difference. Um, and then I also had, they also, um, at William Mary paired me up with a mentor who had been at both Bear and Lehman and he was doing private equity and he would get on the phone and kind of drill me on uh, valuation and accounting questions. And, and that also was huge. I, yeah. I was, I needed a lot of help. Tell me if this happens to you because I went to Williams College. Do any, every, yeah. People are always like, "Oh, Williams and Mary." I'm like, all "No." The time. <laughs> Same yeah. with you guys. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, because yeah, uh, I'm like, time. I'm like, no, not Williams and Mary. <laughs> oh, it's just funny. Okay, cool. So you're so you, you get the offer at Goldman, luckily, um, and you're basically no coming into your senior year. You have a job right lined up. That's right. So it's a great senior year, I assume. Yeah. Uh, and then basically coming in to Goldman. So was it a, was it a specific group at Goldman? Um, was it in, you know, industrials or anything like that? Similar to what you did at, at Jeffries or? Yeah. So we, so we were working with, uh, with, um, with the fig group basically as like, uh, like a, a leverage finance function. We were helping with kind of figure, helping insurance companies and banks figure out their, um, their balance sheets. Um, a lot of that was in relation to TARP financing mm-hmm. um when we first started and um that was really cool a lot of it also fed into um like triangulating the best uh like credit ratings for insurance companies which for m- m- lots of people know you know credit ratings are for you know borrowing debt but um it's also for insurance companies um a pretty big uh, marketing point and it's usually in all their advertisements so so we would help a lot of uh, insurance executives figure that out um, and work with the rating agencies and then figure out kind of what's, what's the best debt to go onto their balance sheets and then line that up for them. Got it. So you were, uh, so you that, were, that's where I started and then I thought about, and yeah. then basically I went through another process with, um, the kind of M and a groups, uh, for fig financial institutions and real estate, um, got offers for both of those and then went into real estate. Got it. So you're doing M and a real estate deals basically under Yeah, that's right. And yeah. how many, that was for a couple of years as well. Yeah. Um, and we were doing, we were doing both financing. We, we did a lot of, uh, of equity, uh, capital market stuff. And then, um, we also did, we also did M&A. Um, can, I can you did, talk about that LPO, like asset purchase for Blackstone? Can you tell me about that internal transition? I know I've had other guests on here. It's pretty tricky sometimes because you're working for one group for a couple of years and it's like, you have those relationships with the MDs and the VPs. And then, you know, you're kind of trying to, for your career, you're trying to move into another specific group that maybe you have more yeah. interest in. And I'm sure Goldman, it's a little bit maybe easier making that transition. They may probably have some inter- internal process, but can you talk a little bit about that in terms of how smooth that was or how you navigated it? Yeah, it was, um, it was pretty, it was relatively smooth. I mean, I think that, uh, I think that they kind of, the M&A groups probably look at it as kind of like recruiting from the, the listen groups and they kind of get a chance to work with, um, with those people and kind of see who's, who's interested in it. I would say, you know, it wasn't like anything, I wouldn't say anyone was anything, but really pretty encouraging about it. They okay. really do, at least then they, you know, they, in the culture, they really did kind of encourage mobility and staying within the firm, et cetera. Um, so that was, that was great. Uh, I'd say maybe the trickier part was, you know, recruiting for two M&A groups and kind of having to figure out the modeling for both, you know, doing like insurance uh, blocks, of like insurance annuity deals, and then deals for like net asset value for, um, for, for real estate companies. How did you even approach that? How did you even approach the accounting is all different too. How did you approach like studying for that? Yeah. Um, I used, 
I kind of actually forget the uh, the software, but there, there was this great Breaking into Wall Street. Breaking into Wall Street had mm-hmm. just these amazing um, modeling uh, programs that you could do, and you could do them for most industry groups. And so I would I would literally just kind of um, hang out in coffee shops on Saturdays and Sundays, and just just kind of work through those for the free time that I had. Sounds like a blast. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you so, much fun. so you obviously did well. You got the offer from both or one or, you know, the real estate one, the one, and you ended up going there. Um, and then tell me about kind of your years there. And then what was kind of the impetus of looking for a, the jump to the buy side? Um, I mean, the year, the, it was very hard. Um, it was, uh, you know, the, it, it is certainly as demanding in terms of time as, uh, as it's cracked up to be. Um, it was really fun though. Um, I, you know, I look back on the experience very favorably. Um, people spent a lot of time kind of training and mentoring and that was great. Um, the, I actually just got married a few weeks ago and a ton of people from my group were, um, were there. Um, I've gone to other people's weddings all over the world that were also my group. So it it was, it was a really good experience. Um, and, uh, I think, I think that the fundamental thing that I learned from that experience was kind of more in the realm of kind of like deal structuring and deal process and kind of how deals work around, you know, the personalities of people's people in the deal. Um, later on in my career, when I worked at a hedge fund as an investor, I think was when I really, really sunk my teeth into um, technical analysis and kind of figuring out like what is value um, in investment banking, uh, not to knock it at all, because it's, it's a very hard job and, and very lucrative, but um, you really are learning I think first and foremost deal structuring as opposed to kind of like the valuation. Right. Can you tell me about a little bit like when you were thinking of, Hey, this is the right move to make for me next is kind of jump to the buy side. Was it just because the buy side is tends to be held in higher regard in terms of lifestyle and in terms of pay or was it some, uh, yeah. some other? I mean, I thought it would be, I thought it would be a lot, uh, a lot easier, which did not turn out to be true and, um, and less stressful. Um, uh, and also, I think, you know, uh, I, I have a, a sister who's eight years older than me. So when she was um, when she, she's probably about your age, actually, when she um, pretty when old, she was her her, her <laughs> kind of uh, contemporaries were on Wall Street kind of in the 2000 to 2005 range. So, mm-hmm. you know, all the people that were in kind of the buy side just had the meteoric careers. And that that really is not quite the case anymore um with kind of you know the industry going through a bit of consolidation and fundraising is a bit different um so i definitely didn't have that insight you know when i was a when i was a banker so um really wanted to go into it and and honestly also just probably want to go into it because it's just like the hardest thing i i could do and just wanted to see if i could do it and so you were there for a while even though it was hard in terms of like you said you know banking is lucrative and i assume you know the hedge fund is lucrative do you mind giving the listeners kind of a range of what you were making at goldman and then kind of what the pay jump i assume there's some sort of pay jump um at the at the hedge fund yeah um i think so at goldman it was you know i think for kind of older analysts it's like you probably make around like one one fifty to 200 it's been a while since i've thought about it um Mm -hmm. a year it's probably like 90 90-ish to 100 for your your base, and then probably double that for your uh, for your bonus. And then going into a hedge fund, um, you usually make like low, you know, six figures for your salary. And then uh, and then actually, there's a variety of different compensation um, scales, particularly with a lot of the jobs coming out of the pretty the much bigger kind of platform companies. Um, mm-hmm. But in the traditional hedge fund model it's like you get something called phantom equity which is just basically like percentage points in the incentive fee 
Um, and that incentive fee is notionally is sort of like by the actual number of dollars is based on the actual amount of uh, return that your, your firm generates. So you as an investor will have call it like 5% or five points in the, uh, the incentive fee. And so basically you get 5% of whatever your fund or your team has generated for your investors. And were you, was it a small or, fund? or sorry, sorry, let, let me correct that. Yeah. You get 5% of the 20% upside, the carry 20 yeah, of, the of, carry. The, of the return. Yeah. Of like the, the upside carry that you guys, that the fund yeah, that can right. make their yeah. due So yeah. were you, which can be nicer than a private equity fund where you have to wait around for it for several years. Right. Meaning cause on the phantom, you're actually getting paid out on the phantom, uh, fandom equity like each year like yeah a bonus. that's right yeah that's great yeah. and then are you are you specifically like um was it a small enough fund where you went and you were getting something as high as five percent as an analyst right out of right out of uh, a bulge bracket like you're four years out of school where you yeah mid single digits yeah that's yeah. great yeah so th- this has big potential upside right um if you guys have yeah. a good year yeah it was great so, um, so there were, was obviously you said low six figures on base The the bonus can obviously range anywhere from zero if it's a bad year, right? To yeah. <laughs> all the way up to, uh, I assume several hundred thousand dollars a year. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, and then specifically on that, like, tell me about that. Was it the types of, um, investments you guys were making and specifically like, were you looking at a specific sector? Were you doing like long shore? Yep. Were you doing event driven? I'd love to hear a little about that. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so we were doing long short, uh, equities mostly, um, we were pretty focused on, um, on us real estate, uh, companies and home builders and developers. Um, but we also did, I'd say some of my coolest investments were kind of going, I went to Australia fairly frequently to kind of underrate, um, real estate opportunities. We did activism, um, the real estate sector, publicly traded and privately traded real estate sector is known and it's a bit notorious for having um some conflicts of interest with with management and kind of governance issues so we would get into that fairly frequently um and uh and then we did some credit so um can you unpack that sorry i don't bit on like the toys toys r us um, can you tell me a little bit more about that the management thing and the conflicts of interest and what's in real because i'm not too familiar with real estate can you yeah so um so, so probably an important thing for a lot of people that are getting into um, the investment community is kind of understanding where the um, the incentives of your, your management teams are. So, um, so for instance, in the real estate um, real estate sector, a lot of the times you have to look out for a uh, a management team that gets paid off of the base of assets or say like the size of revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason for that is that it's not the revenue isn't necessarily or the size of the company is not necessarily correlated with returns for equity holders. Um, so let's just say, you know, you owned, you know, REIT, ABC, and you took out a bunch of debt and then you bought a bunch of assets that aren't very good. If your compensation is actually tied to the, the value of your total asset portfolio, you get paid more from it for making a bad portfolio. Right. Makes sense. You're just building the base. As high as you can, as fast yeah, as you can. That's right. Yeah, as opposed to as opposed to kind of creating like a creative growth. Cool. Um, so you're doing. So you're there for almost three years. And tell me what's going on there. I know is the hedge fund world's tough to, to hang around for too long. Um, but tell me, was it stressful? Were you sleepless nights, or were you? Did you take it in stride? The losses with the with the wins. How did? How was it like emotionally and psychologically? Um, it was. It was a. Uh... It was definitely challenging to get up to speed. Um, I got a lot of training, so that was that was great. Um, 
uh, I think, you know, the, the toughest thing probably that people should probably be aware of when they want to go into um, investing in uh, like the public markets is just a big, a big change in your lifestyle will be whether or not you're investing in foreign exchanges. So at like various times we would have uh, risk on, or we'd be invested in companies that were on the DAX in Germany, on the LSX um, in London, um, on the American exchanges and in um, on the Australian exchange. So there literally would be no time of the day uh, when numbers were not going up and down of like your pricing for your securities. Right. So that was pretty tough because, you know, you're kind of expected to know all the releases that are coming out and everything. There'd be, there'd be earnings calls at like three in the morning. It was that, that part was pretty rough. Um, but you know, the, the experience of, um, you know, taking a, and, and we were, we were usually looking at kind of smaller capitalization companies. So you ultimately, you know, in, in sinking your teeth into something would kind of become one of the smartest people, um, in the investment community on a certain company and you would get to travel and learn all about it and meet the management team and kind of create, create relationships with them, which was, um, really rewarding, especially when things worked out. So. Did you find it tough? Like when you building those relationships, like if you had a negative view on a company, <laughs> like to keep it a positive relationship, or did you feel like you were typically or most of the time going long? So it was a, it was a amicable kind of exchange. Um, I actually had a tough time not making good relationships with people. Um, that's probably why I'm better suited to being a, a startup founder than a, uh, a hedge fund investor. Um, but I, I, I generally kind of had a, had a good time meeting with most people. Cool. And then, um, yeah, what, what made you kind of think, Hey, it's time to branch out on my own and try this entrepreneurship thing. What kind of, has it always been kind of in your DNA, do you feel like, or is it something that you're just had to get out of your system or? What's what's going on? And I'd love to hear about your your new business. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was probably always in my DNA. I, I didn't really know that. Um, but what I kind of started to realize was that I really loved, you know, these big these big trips going to Germany, going you know all over the U.S., going to Australia um, to figure out, you know, different opportunities to kind of put together networks of people that could kind of help us figure out things. Um, and, and what I really didn't like as much was kind of sitting around and just looking at my like Bloomberg screen all day, which was probably, you know, five, six of what I was doing. Um, so I kind of realized that what I really like to do is kind of just honestly like pound the pavement. Um, and even harkening back to when I was recruiting for jobs in, uh, in New York and kind of just going around getting coffees and just meeting with people, it was almost kind of similar to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and most people that I, that I end up talking to that are kind of going through that process just absolutely hate that. And, you know, I think kind of just wish that that part that wasn't part of the process in the end though, I think for, for many people, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've run into this too, Pat, um, you know, that kind of like hustling and kind of figuring out where opportunities are and kind of putting one and one together that aren't necessarily obvious are big things that will come into everybody's career for like fundraising, for hiring people, um, for finding, you know, new deal opportunities. So, so that was kind of something that I, I really like and that I get to do a lot more now. Um, that's cool. And then, um, sorry, there, there was a second part of your question. Yeah. Just, uh, I'd love to hear what the actual business is and what you guys are doing and how's, how's it going and all that. Yeah. So, um, so my company's called Vansory and it's a technology company. Um, we employ a team of, um, software developers and marketing people um, that basically provide market research to investors and consultants and, and corporate clients. And um, I guess that the closest thing to uh, like traditionally what our company does is uh, an industry called um, the expert networks. Have, have you ever heard of those or should I explain what that yeah, is? Yeah, a few of them. Um, it's like the big one is like G G L G is it or um, 
There's, yeah, that's there's right. been a few yeah. of them, right? That so, where so they specifically. Yeah. So, so many investors use them. So, so that might be of interest for, for listeners. Um, essentially the idea is, you know, you consider your desk and let's just say you want to learn how, you know, how Apple picks like semiconductor, uh, providers, um, in Taiwan. I don't know if they do, but I, I guess they probably do. Um, and you would just like shoot off an email to someone, you know, that's your coverage person at one of these companies and they would just, you know, lo and behold, just find you someone that, that can tell you about that in Taiwan or that knows about the supply chain. Right. Um, there's, a, there's a bit of an issue where there's always kind of this asymmetry of sophistication between your coverage person who's usually like very junior and then just imagine like a 35, 40 or 30 year old investor. And then they need to talk to like a very seasoned, you know, uh, like corporate executive or former executive. So, th- so the person in the middle never really knows like 100 percent what's going on. Um, that can create some negative experiences and actually commonly does. So what we are basically doing is creating kind of an online platform to, to fix that. Um, and uh, and so, you know, it's it, it's a lot of fun. It's inspired by you know what I, I used to use them all the time. Um, and Austin would have to go find my own experts and kind of far off places. So I kind of got the inspiration to do it from that. Um, and are there specific yeah, are there my, specific my, my like changes day to day, are there so. specific experts that you guys are like honed in on first, or like you just already had good contacts with that you're kind of focusing on, or is it like? Uh, um, all of the above, really. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we really focus on the healthcare and um, and technology sectors. Um, so we're working with uh, uh, like a life sciences consulting firm that works a lot with pharmaceutical companies. Got it. Um, so that that's a big area of of, uh, of volume for us. And then um, and then also kind of for my own you know network back in DC, uh, we have a really big kind of government affairs pool of people, which is very relevant for you know all the Trump trade war stuff. Um, just kind of everything that's going on with different types of regulation, potential changes with healthcare, um, from like the democratic debates, the, all stuff, all of those Got types it. of things kind of drive questions that drive kind of business for us. Very cool. Very cool. So yeah, I assume it's a lot of like just network building, traveling and meeting people and getting them into your network and explaining what you do. Um, yeah, exactly what I wanted. So yeah. that's cool. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like it's, it's right up your alley. Um, awesome, man. So anything else you'd like to share with the listeners before we call it, like in terms of feedback or, or advice you would have given to your younger self looking back, even though you're still pretty young? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, gosh, I mean, a lot of things I would say, but um, one thing is really just ask more questions. Um, I think, you know, that's a common refrain that people hear, but it honestly, you know, t- taking the mindset of I'm just going to grind this out in terms of you know, interviews that aren't going well, or, you know, if your MD gives you, you know, a, a, a deck skeleton that Friday on Friday afternoon, um, all of those things are opportunities when, you know, and things like that, that, you know, for your personal life or don't, you know, aren't great or, you know, they don't emotionally feel good or, or t- usually opportunities for you to grow and to learn stuff. Um, and I do that literally all the time, um, like advancery, um, we have this insanely good group of advisors. Uh, one of them was a CTO of CapIQ, um, which for, for, I'm sure you remember Pat, but it used to be kind of like the gold standard for, mm-hmm. um, financial data. Yep. Um, and, uh, like another guy was like one of the first people at Instagram. So I spent a lot of time on the phone literally yesterday with them, just kind of brainstorming and just asking questions and trying to think of dumb questions. Cause like for me, the things that I don't know are what will hurt us. Yeah. Um, so I try to ask questions as much as possible. And, and I think that that's something that, Every analyst, every every you know college student that's trying to get into a new job should should be doing as much as they can. It's just aggressive learning. Yeah, amen to that. I think uh, hopefully they can do some some self learning in the community, and then um, 
use their their coffee chats with, with professionals to kind of dig in deeper on specific specific topics that they want more info on but yeah for sure great well i appreciate everything gunner thanks so much for uh, taking the time to join us and thanks to you my listeners at wall street oasis if you have any suggestions whatsoever please don't hesitate to send them my way patrick at wallstreetoasis.com until next time